Man, every time I, I've watched that, I got to put that video together, and it just gives me goosebumps every time. You know, I, I got to go this week. Uh, I'm a part of the executive board of the Baptist Convention of New Mexico, and um, I got all the paperwork from last year's baptisms, and blew me away. Not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing for us, kind of a bad thing across the board. We, as a church, are in the top 3% of all churches in New Mexico for the most baptisms. And uh, seeing life change, that's great. And I'm glad that our church is doing that. But the thing that bothered me was how many churches I saw with the number zero next to it. And it just, that just really bothered me. And I'm praying for those churches because we're not working in competition and trying to beat anybody. We're trying to re, uh, be able to see lives change and see people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and take that step of reaching out. So it's exciting for us to be growing that way and already having 27 this year. Our goal, our goal is 52, uh, uh, to have uh, average one a Sunday. So, and I know there's a handful of people actually after this baptism that told me I would really like to get baptized. So um, I'm not trying to, to say, hey, we got to do this for us and say, look at our great numbers. We're going to do it because it's about reaching out for people. And it was an exciting, exciting Sunday we got to be a part of last week and, and seeing eight people get baptized was just amazing. And once again, this whole idea of following God, this is what we've been going through with the book of Jonah. And sometimes we see it out there and we want to reach out and we want to follow God, but yet we, we're hesitant or we say no because we're worried about what everybody else is going to say. As a matter of fact, during youth this morning, uh, Corey, who normally teaches youth, he's out of town this week. And uh, so I got to step in and teach youth and we're going through the entire book of the Bible. And since we're three weeks old, uh, into our Sunday school classes, we did Noah this morning. And I said, you know, most of the time Noah is one of those stories that it's the cutesy thing that's on the, the, uh, the walls of the bedrooms. And of course, we joked about that being the fact that, you know, it was the worldwide flood of sin being destroyed that uh, people are putting on their kids' nursery windows and, and things of that nature with little people smile, or little animals smiling on a boat, yet they don't show any of the dead people floating underneath the water uh, that were all destroyed. But... You know, uh, we said that's generally the focus of Noah and, uh, and the ark. But really, what we focused on this morning, one of the things I think we need to focus on with Jonah, as well as Noah, as we look at it here, is he took 120 years to build an ark. And we were pretty much guessing, you know, it was, it was a, a football field and a half long. It was 450 feet long. It was... 45 feet tall and 75 feet wide. We were kind of looking at that building over there. And roughly, that's probably about what that building is in the section that we are in. I said, can you imagine taking 120 years to build something this big and still trust God after everybody's walked by time and time and time and time again saying, what are you doing? There's something wrong with you. And it wasn't like you went down to Home Depot to grab all the wood and stuff. You know, he had to do a lot of labor to make that happen, but it's because he trusted God. And as we look at Jonah today, I think when we look at Jonah, we have t covered the first half of Jonah. Thing is, is that's pretty much where people stop when they look at Jonah. Because when I say Jonah, first thing that comes to mind is either big fish or whale. That's it. That, that's kind of what ties in together. Let's take a quick review of what we've talked about. God told Jonah, he said, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh, the Israelites' enemy, I want you to tell them to repent and break down and leave 
all this junk alone. Leave all the idol worship alone. Leave all the evil things that you're doing alone and go to Nineveh. You see, he got that word from Joppa, so he should have headed pretty much straight north right there. But instead, he decided to run from God. And he said, you know what, God, I'm going to go to the furthest side of the world, as far as away as I can get in the known world from you, and that was Tarshish, across the Mediterranean Sea, over to basically Spain nowadays. So he said, I'm heading that way, and I'm getting out of here, God. I'm not going to listen to you. And God said, yeah, sure, go ahead and do it. I got a few plans for you along the way. And so he gets on a ship, he has some sailors with him, he goes in, he's like, I'm going to take a little nap and get down below here, and this huge storm goes up, because God says, you know what, you can try and run, but you can't hide. And boom, here comes the storm, he stays asleep, the sailors freak out, they say, hey, get up, pray to your God, something's going on here, we've got to figure this out. Find out, it's Jonah's fault, he says, this is my fault, because I'm running from God. He said, the only way to stop the storm is to throw me overboard. After a little bit of being hesitant and saying, no, I don't really want to, uh, we don't want to throw you overboard, we're going to try and row. That didn't work, so overboard he goes. Okay, Ends up, fish swallows him. He's in the belly of a fish. He's being digested for three days and three nights. In that time that he's in there, he's not camping out and having a fun time. He's praying to God. He's saying, we talked about last week, this that claustrophobic as you're tight into the space and you're stuck. All you can do is think about, God, get me out of this. And he did that. And it's a very eloquent prayer throughout all of chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. So finally, at the end of chapter 2 of Jonah, he gets spit out. And that's where we stopped at last week. After he had run, after he had done all these things, he got spit out because he said, God, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I will do, I will make promise on the things that I have promised. I mean, I'll make good on the things that I've promised. And that's where we end up at today. So before we get into the next part of the story, because though it sounds real good, and if we could just tie a little bow on that and send it away, that sounds like a great little package deal. Because Noah ran from God, he prayed, he repented, and then he got started again. Back doing what God wanted him to do. That sounds like a wonderful plan. That wish, I wish that was a plan of all of our lives and we could stop it there. Unfortunately, that's not where it stops. So let's pray and we'll get into Jonah chapter 3. Father, we're so thankful for who you are. We're thankful for the love that you have for us. And God, we're thankful for the stories of the Old Testament and New Testament. Of trust in you and, and those who didn't trust in you. And the results for both. And God, as we look at that today. I pray that you open our hearts and you open our minds to what you'd have to say to us through the book of Jonah. And and even in the idea of surrendering and waving that white flag, not just in running from you, but Lord, into doing your will. To surrender, to say, yes, I will do what you have called me to do. We pray it all in your name, Lord. Amen. So, we are now in the middle of the story. And a lot of people think the point of the story was that God got Noah's, or I'm sorry, Jonah's attention. And he got his attention by having him get swallowed by a fish and pray, repent, and get spit out on the shore. But really, that's just a part of the story. That's just a small part of the story that gets told. But really, the, the point of the story, I think, is what we're going to talk about today in these last two chapters as we read through verse, uh, chapters 3 and chapters 4. And... I think, you know, we, we get so wrapped up in the idea of well, people run from God. All of us have run from God. We're born running from God. And eventually, God gets our attention through a person, through an event, through whatever it might be, and we turn our lives to God, and we give our lives back over to Him. And that sounds like a great plan, and, and, and that's exactly what we need to be doing. But the story of Jonah is so much more of it all. And, and I think it's this. I think the story of Jonah really boils down to the people who are Christians. And it is for the people who are Christians because 
Because I think we get into this mindset that we are really, really good people. I mean, according to our own standards, we're, we're pretty decent people. I had a great time this week getting to, to uh, serve and work with the Baptist Convention at the fair. Um, tired. I was there from 9 o'clock to 9 o'clock, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock on Friday and Saturday. And I saw all kinds of people. And I got to talk to all kinds of people. It's funny because the guy who does the um, talking on the speaker, he does it for the balloon fiesta as well, very monotone kind of voice. Uh, but he, he kept saying over and over again, I guess it was kind of the slogan, come to the New Mexico State Fair and, and experience who New Mexico is. It's such a great representation of New Mexico. And some of it, I kind of said, I don't know if that's a great advertising statement. But on the other part of it all, I was thinking, yeah, you see these people that are walking in all different areas of life. The diversity that is out there is just crazy. And I was work, working at a, a diaper changing area where we, we cleaned up afterwards, uh, after the, the, they had gone through to sanitize it all, and just providing a service that really isn't provided there by the fair. And while I was there, um, had many, many conversations with dads who were waiting for mom to, to get done. And I had a, a great conversation. We had these little shiny coins that say on one side, where will you spend eternity? On the flip side, it's got John 3.16 on it. And the guy's got one, but he had picked up the Spanish one because we have Spanish and English. And he's sitting there, and he's trying to read it. And so I said, do you, uh, do you speak Spanish? And he was, uh, he's like, no, I, I, uh -uh. I'm like, would you like me to translate that for you? He's like, do you know how? And I picked up the English coin. And I said, yeah. It, sa <laughs> it says, where would you spend eternity? He's like, oh, wow. I said, do you know the answer to that question? He said, yeah, I think so. And anytime somebody says, I think so, I'm like, oh, okay. Let me go on. I said, why do you think so? He said, well, hey, I'm a, I'm a really good person. I said, okay, that's interesting. I said, tell me a little bit more. What makes you a good person compared to the next guy? He's like, well, you know, I, I kind of follow the golden rule. I treat my wife well. I do the things that... You know, that make people good people. And I said, oh, wow. And I just about ready. And then his little daughter came out and interrupted the whole conversation. I'm like, Satan, right there. You were about ready to get it. And, you know, and he walked away. And I was like, man, what a blown opportunity to be able to share just a little bit more with him. And I was just praying that he had come back. And he never did. And, you know, hopefully he planted a little bit of seed because he took the coin with him. But, it, you know, we get caught up in this idea that it, we have to be good people. And, you know, one of the perpetrators of that thinking is the church in itself. Because we think that uh, the church, you have to be a good person in order to come to it. You have to be this way. And as long as I am better than you and I look better than you, we can actually look down on other people. And I found myself at times doing that. And I felt guilty, even as the fact that I'm sitting with my message on my lap and I'm kind of working through it while I'm sitting at the fair and I'm watching people walk by. And, I mean, there are great, great people at the fair. And there's just some really, really strange people at the fair. And I've heard comedians say it, and it's so true. They said, if you ever will feel bad about yourself, just go to the fair and you'll feel better. And it's true. It's true. You're like, yeah, I don't have it that bad. And you watch these people walk by and you kind of, and I apologize for, for being honest here, but there was just days that I was like, man, yeah, I am better than them. And it's a bad thing to feel, it's a bad thing to say out loud, but I'm just being honest with you. There were times that I looked down on people and I thought to myself, how can I do that when I'm getting ready to prepare this message here? Well, it's because we're all human and we think it somehow has something to do with us. 
that somehow what we have done and how we are in the church or that we are a good person is because something that, that I have achieved and they haven't yet or whatever it might be. And we look down on people and I, and I got to thinking, you know, Jonah kind of did the same thing here. Because Jonah was really, really good at following what God wanted him to do once God got his attention. And he was really, really good because obviously he was a prophet, so he knew how to follow God's laws. And he did all these things, and we have a tendency to do that at the church too. Well, you know, I do follow the Ten Commandments. And you know what? I do put my money in the offering plate or box for our case. You know, we do these things that make us better than somebody else. And when we feel better than somebody else, we have a tendency to look down on somebody else. As if you're not good enough to be in my presence or whatever it is, and it's a bad thing to be. And the thing here is we look at Jonah, we will see that. Because it becomes to start revolving around us and what we have done and how good we are. And we start following these rules and we feel good about ourselves, but yet we're missing something that God has called us to do. Because God didn't save us just to be better people, just to go to church. God saved us to... Go out and do and fulfill his global mission. That's what he saved us for. And he tells Jonah this very thing. As a matter of fact, as we get to it, let's take a quick look at it here. And uh, open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Chapter 3, if you don't remember where Jonah's at, um, we got that slide up there real quick. You'll see it there. It's, you know, Old Testament uh, ends there and then Matthew. So if you hit Matthew, go backwards about eight books. Otherwise, try and flip through and find it. But as we get into the book of Jonah here, and we look at three, because this is one of those things that people, like I said, don't really look at very closely. Let's take a look, because there's some important things here. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is right after he'd been spit out onto the beach by a fish. So, the most amazing part right here of this is that God gives people second chances. And we need to remember that. We need to let that soak into our head. And those people aren't just us. It's every person that walked by me at the fair. On Wednesday, there was over 200,000 people that went to the fair because it was free day. They said 55,000 people showed up between 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock at night. And every one of those... Every one of those has a face, and every one of those has a soul, and every one of those God has given a second chance. And we need to remember that. No matter how strange they are in comparison to us, or how strange I am in comparison to them. I got into a joking deal with a guy that was wearing a tutu. And he's like, what? And I'm like, what? And he kind of said, you're the one with your shirt tucked in. I said, I looked around and I said, you're right, I am the one that's abnormal here. Because everybody else wasn't normal compared to me or in my own mind. So we have this tendency to say, yeah, this is this and this is this. But it's all in the way we have a perspective. So God came to Jonah and gave him a second chance. Verse 2, it says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Instead of what happened in verse and uh, in, in the first chapter, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days just to go through it. It was a city of 120,000 people. It was also a city that was 550 miles from where he was at. There's a little bit of challenge that was coming in place here. I started looking at a map. I said, what big city is 550 miles roughly away? 
away from Albuquerque. That if God had called us to say, hey, I want you to go to this city and I want you to proclaim that they're doing wrong. They're walking away from me. That they are full of sin and they need to stop worshiping their idols and they need to worship me. You know what city's 550 miles away from here? Las Vegas. I was like, wow. So imagine, we step outside Cleveland High School. We get on our mules, donkeys. We're just walking with our feet. And we start to make the trek to Las Vegas. As we walk to Las Vegas, there's going to be some time of thinking. Why are we doing this? Why are we going? What's the end result of this going to be? How are they going to respond? We're going to have a lot of time to think because it's going to take us a while to get there. We finally get there. It's going to take us a couple days to walk through that city, similar to what Jonah's experiencing here. Imagine this. You, you end up on the strip. We get there. Our shoes are a little tired. Our feet are a little tired. We're walking through, and we say, repent of all the things that you're doing wrong and give your lives back over to God. And we just walk through the street saying that, repent, give your lives back over to God because what you're doing is wrong. God wants you to come back to Him. Get your acts together. How would they respond to us? Yeah, they're going to think we're nuts. And if it were a whole big group of us, might be a little bit less nutty. They think I'm a nut and that you're nutty for following me. But imagine being Jonah all by yourself. All by yourself, walking through the middle, the middle of this town of people that hate you. At least Las Vegas, you know, we're in the same country. We have the same basic principles. But these people, they don't know who God is in Nineveh. They don't even understand the Israelite Hebrew ways. And he's going through talking about some God that is going to destroy them if they don't repent. One guy. How would you think they would respond to that? Probably fairly negatively. That, that's what my thinking would be. They would just say, hey, why don't you come on over here? We're going to put you on the stake. We're going to skin you alive. And then we're going to have some fun with it after that. But how was the response? Look at Jonah 3, 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. This guy's walking through the city saying, hey, guess what? In 40 days, your entire city is going to fall if you don't give your lives back over to God. And they believed him. They believed him. He was worried the first time. That's why he ran. That's why he went and got swallowed by the fish the first time because he didn't want to go. He didn't really think that they were going to believe him. Right? That was the reason why he ran. Well, hang on just a second. Let's read verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth, which, by the way, is a sign of mourning. And he sat down in the dust. And he called for a nationwide fast. I'd have to think to myself, okay, why in the world would they take him seriously? Well, some things that are historical books outside of the, outside of the Bible kind of give a little bit of perspective that maybe there was something more to it. I mean, obviously God can work a miracle. We've already seen it happen in this. But there's a couple of things that are going on. I, um, first of all, there was three tribes of Israel that had, had joined together in the region at this time. 
And they had joined together, and they're about 100 miles outside of Nineveh, about ready to attack, which would take probably about 40 days to move those tribes in to attack. And they thought, well, you know what? There's a very good possibility that could happen. The other thing is, is um, they were, uh, there were two plagues that had happened in the last five years, and they believed that there was a God that was causing them and that there was going to be some problems that took place. Another thing that happened is, according to calendar and when all these things, if, if you can put them together side by side, there was actually a total eclipse of the sun about the same time. So there's some freaky things kind of going on for them, and they're thinking, well, maybe this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Plus, he had just come out of the belly of a fish and was being digested for about three days, and I understand that stomach bile isn't good for your skin. So who knows what he looked like. He could have been looking like a zombie coming walking through town, you know repent and they're like oh we will we will i don't know there's all different sorts of ways that could have happened but really what happened was is they they did it and then look what the king says this is the proclamation he issued in verse 7 he issued in nineveh by the decree of the king of his nobles and his nobles do not let the people or animals herds or flocks taste anything do not let them eat or drink but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently to God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Can you imagine if we walked to Las Vegas that the mayor got up and said that? Guys, there's this church from New Mexico that came, and we need to listen to God. He gets up on his royal throne of mayor or whatever and puts away the politics and says, we need to get right with God. Don't see it happening, but it does here. Look what it also says. Verse 9, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. I wish we could just wrap up the story right here because that is awesome. An entire city of 120,000 people repent because one man followed God. That sounds so great. Put a little bow on that one too. Send it away. Most people don't even know that happened because they stopped where the whale spit him out. But because he followed, people repented and they gave their lives back to God and their lives changed and everything happened. It was so great. But then we see something. Because the story continues and we realize the real reason why... Jonah didn't want to go to the Nineveh in the first place. It wasn't the fact that he was afraid of what the Ninevites were going to do for him. It was, he was afraid of what God was going to do for the Ninevites. He was afraid of how the Ninevites would respond and then how God would respond and turn to that. Look what it says in verse, verse 1 of chapter 4. But to Jonah, because of the fact that God had relented and did not bring the destruction on it, but to Jonah this seemed wrong and he became what? angry how dare you save those people god how dare you they are my enemy and i can't stand them and i would rather they burned in hell than they got saved because they repented to you what in the world is going on here how many times have we responded like that when somebody that's just way too far out there says you know what I repent and I give my life back to God. You can't come in our church. Look at you. You don't dress right. You don't smell right. You got tattoos. You got this. You got that. You got gauge earrings. You got, 
Everything we lay out there, there are things we can look at people however we want because we have this judge of what's supposed to be and what's supposed to be normal and what's not. And we get ourselves all about us. This is our church and this is how we dress here and this is how we act here and this is how we sing here and this is how... You can't come in here. And we're angry that God would bring somebody like that into our church. And unfortunately, I've seen churches across the nation act like that. And maybe you've been a part of one and I'm sorry for that. I really am sorry for that. It seemed wrong that God would that God would honor the repentance. It seemed wrong to Jonah. And then look what he says to God in verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. It wasn't that I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to see how you were going to respond. I didn't want to see you save those people. Because those people are my enemy. Those people have done evil and wicked things to Israel. To the Hebrew people. They do not deserve to be alive. They do not deserve to have your repentance. Or their, your grace and mercy poured out because they repented. Anybody think about God sometimes when you read the Old Testament and you see things like Noah and the ark? How could God kill all those people? That, that God of the Old Testament, he let wars and let the Israelite people slaughter people. And just, there's all kinds of bloodshed. And it's really kind of cool if you're into that stuff. But man, there's this God of the Old Testament. It's like this mean judge God. And all of a sudden there's New Testament comes along and he's kind of a light and fluffy God that's full of grace and mercy and things like that. And we think there's two separate gods, right? How can they be this way? But look, if you look at what Jonah says here in verse 2, you understand it's the same God. It's the same guy. Because what did Jonah say? I knew that you were a what? And compassionate. I knew. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You know what? God, I knew you were going to save them. I knew it. And that's why I didn't want to go. I didn't care what they did to me. I didn't want to see you save them. That was the reason why. I think sometimes we miss that. Because we don't, we don't sometimes get the whole story. We don't read the whole book. We don't see the rest of it. He says, you know, I, don't, I didn't want them there. You weren't going to punish them. They deserve to be punished. Do you see what they did? Did you see that? And look what his next response is. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. How dare you save those people? I don't even want to be here. I, just kill me. Jonah's problem was is that he knew all about the law of God. He knew the Ten Commandments. He was a prophet. He went out and told people the things that they needed to hear. He knew that God was a gracious and loving God. He knew everything he needed to know to have that get-out-of-hell-free card in his back pocket. But when it came to reaching out to people and sharing that with him... He didn't grasp that. He didn't grasp that because it was all about him. I've got what I need. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's all that really matters. And there's too many times, too many times that we as Christians will get that way. Even though we don't want to say it out loud, even though we don't want to admit it, even though, even, when we're honest with ourselves though, it tends to be that way. We can look down at people. And we can look it down at them because they are dress differently, or they act differently, or their kids act differently. 
They're different parents than we are. Man, I'll tell you what, in that diaper change center, you had the people that would clean up after themselves and just leave a little something, and then we had some people that actually left the diapers on the table. I'm like, seriously, there's a trash can right there. How could you, what, come on. You know, I don't want to touch latex gloves. <laughs> you know. But there's different people in this world. And God loves them all. And God's given them all a second chance. And sometimes we miss that thinking, well, as long as I've got mine and you've got yours, we're all good. We're all good. And I think we miss that and we become very judgmental. And, you know, I started thinking about what gets us to the point of being judgmental. What gets us there? And I wrote some things down. You become judgmental by being a very good person who never surrenders what God wants to do in the lives of people that aren't as good as you are, according to your standard. Because we all have this standard of what's good and what's not. And some people's standards are different. You become judgmental by becoming a very good person, but having no compassion for people who aren't as good as you. You become a very good person, and you forget what you ultimately deserve. Because I think we forget that. I think that we forget that God's grace is poured out on us every day because ultimately we deserve hell. Because of who we are and what we have done in our lives, we deserve hell. We deserve to be separated from God. But every day, God pours out his mercy and grace on us. And then we forget that other people deserve that too. And that God has done that too. We forget that God's grace is showered on us constantly. And we become so good and so much better than other people. And we forget to care about them. We forget that God loves them too. And you know, the problem with that is this. It makes the church insignificant. It makes the church something that doesn't really matter. It makes the church judgmental. It makes the church a place where somebody says, I don't really want to go there because I don't want to be judged. I don't want people throwing stuff down at me or making me feel bad about myself. I don't want that. And that's the tendency we have for that. And as we, as we really look deep into it, we, we do that. Think about the church that's in the book of Acts. And you look at that church and you say, wow, how did they go from 120 to 3,000 in, the, in the, just moments, in hours? How did that happen? And how do they continue to grow? And how are we a spawn off of that? How did it go that far and get that big? It's because they cared about people. It didn't become, well, let me ask you this. How many of us in this room got saved because we got into a theological debate with somebody? How many of us said, you know what, this God is such a loving and compassionate God because you and I are arguing whether tulip is real or not? Which if you don't know what tulip is, don't worry about it. If you get into the idea of, you know, are you pre-trib or are you post-trib? Oh, you know, you have changed my mind and I'm coming to know Jesus today. It doesn't happen. How did you come to know Jesus? Think about it for just a second. Because my guess is it's because somebody showed the love of God to you. Whether it was a grandparent an aunt, an uncle, a parent, somebody at the church took time and they invested in you and they changed who you're thinking or, or what your thinking was of who God is. Right? I mean, would everybody in here agree with me that that is how you became who you are? How you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because somebody said, this God is a God of love. He's given me a second chance, and he's given you a second chance, no matter where you've been. Look what he did for Jonah. Jonah was completely running away, and now he's this way. 
But yet we get so into this judgmental thing, it's difficult. And I think this part of Jonah is very much a mirror for Christians to look at and say, who are we? Are we mad that God is saving people who we don't think need to be saved or shouldn't be saved or whatever it might be? We forget why God sent his son and we forget the character of God. And I think people forget that as well because we don't display it. I challenge you today, I challenge you today to be 100%, 100% surrendering to God. Not only in His law and His being a good person and following the Ten Commandments and doing this and doing that, but in His mission to reach the world for Christ. Because He told us to go. He told us to go out there and do it. And sometimes we say, man, I'm scared to talk to somebody. But is it because we're scared to talk to somebody or is it because we're scared to see how they respond? Is it because we're scared? You know, I talked to one guy and said, hey, you know, you should invite so-and-so to church. Well, you know, I work with them. I don't really, I have to work with them all week long. I don't really want them to be at church with us. Not joking. I was like, wow. Honesty, thank you. The answer, not so much thank you. So some things happen. And I see it that we become this obstacle. Instead of being a help for God, we become an obstacle for God and keep people, we push people away versus keeping them close to him. And God asks him straight out in verse four, he says, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? I mean, really, honestly, Jonah, just a couple of weeks ago, you were running from me and I could have drowned you in that ocean, but I gave you a second chance. These people are running for me. Is it right for you to be angry that I am saving 120,000 people? And Jonah doesn't respond. Instead, he goes up and he sits on the hillside, and he can see Nineveh from the hillside where he's sitting at, and he's looking over there, and he's just waiting for God to do something, for God to send a big lightning bolt and blow the city up. I don't know what he's waiting. He's just sitting there and watching. And while he's sitting there and he's watching, it's hot. This is modern-day Iraq. Some of you guys are soldiers, you've been there. It's hot. And the east wind starts blowing, and according to, to things that I, people I've talked to, when that east wind starts blowing, the temperature can go up 15 to 30 degrees in a matter of minutes. And God sends a wind. It just happens to be, you know, accurately correct that it would get hot. And Jonah starts, uh, well, God sends this huge plant with giant leafy leaves, and it creates shade. And Jonah scoots over underneath the plant, and he's still watching the city, and he's waiting for the city to be destroyed. He's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting and it takes a period and overnight he sleeps and he gets back up and said he's still there and God sends a worm at that point in time to eat the roots of this plant and the plant dies and withers. Well, guess what? Guess what happens with Jonah? He gets mad that the plant died. He gets angry again at God. How dare you take that plant from me? And in verse 9, God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And Jonah's response, it is. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. This guy's got some serious anger issues. But I think he also has some focus issues. He starts getting so upset about God killing a plant, but yet he wants God to kill 120,000 people. Something messed up there? Verse 10, but the Lord said... You've been concerned about this plant, 
but you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The end. You notice there's nothing after that? There's nothing in the book after that. The book's over. Wait a second. Jonah, don't you know how to write a story? There's got to be like a conclusion to it. I think he might have failed in English. This is, don't know their right hand from their left? All so many animals? Next book, please. It just doesn't make any sense. What's God trying to say? He says, you know what? You're concerned about all the wrong stuff. You're concerned about all the wrong stuff. You're worried about the plants, and you're worried about yourself, and you're worried about these little things, and yet I am worried about people. God says, I am concerned with this. What exactly are you concerned for, Jonah? What is it that you are worried about and angry about and wishing something would happen? Anybody's football team lose last week? Yeah. How many of you guys were angry about that last week? Uh-huh. Yeah. How many of you guys were angry when you found out somebody died and went to hell? Not as much. God says, you are concerned with the wrong stuff, Jonah. Matt, fill in your name. You're concerned with the wrong stuff. You're worried about things that don't really matter. When we get on Facebook and we harp and we whine and we cry about something that doesn't really matter, yet there are people dying and going to hell on a regular basis and we don't care about them. We don't get upset about that. That baptism video was exciting, but we should have 80, not 8. We should be reaching out to people and seeing their lives changed by God. We should be going out there and talking to people, not worried about what is going to happen to us, and especially not worried about how they're going to respond. Because I think sometimes we do. I think we don't want our neighbors to get saved because then we have to actually talk to them more. I think sometimes we don't want that. We want to keep our barriers up and our bubbles up, and I think that's exactly what Jonah saw. I want to stay here. You do your thing over there. It's a sad thing, and I think that's the exact reason why he, I think that's the exact reason why he ended the book like that. Because God just said, what are you concerned with? I am concerned with this generation of people. What is it that concerns you? That's your question today. What is it that concerns you? Are you on board with what God is doing, or are you just happy with what God has done for you? Are you wanting to see people's lives change? Are you wanting to see people's lives transformed by the gospel and by God himself? Or would you rather not see that because you don't like those people or you think you're better than those people or whatever it is? I know this is one of those step-on-your-toes messages and I, I feel bad because normally I prep Christy because she tells me what to say and what not to, but I got home too late last night so I couldn't do it. So I probably am going to have a list of things I shouldn't have said today, but I think, I think God's speaking to you. And I know he spoke to me this week because he's like, you're going to talk about this and yet look what you're doing right here at the fair. You're going to talk about this and you're saying, hey, I know I can best, bet I can guess what town they're from. You know, those kind of things. Y- you can, and that's, I'm just being dead honest with you. We have this tendency to do that. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you not to be concerned with things that really don't matter, but instead be concerned with what God's concerned with. And that is this generation of people who are dying without him. And we need to share with him. And that's what he's called each and every one of us to do. Stop running and follow God. Let's pray. Father, so, so grateful. The fact that you give us second chances. 
and thirds and fourths and fifths because you are a God of grace and you're a God of mercy. Your love is unconditional. We don't have to earn it. We definitely don't deserve it. But God, sometimes our minds get messed up and we start thinking that, yeah, we've done something to make you love us more than you love the next person. And we get mad when, when somebody who has done so wrong either to us or to somebody else comes to know Jesus. And we get so mad that how could you possibly save a person that, that does so many wrong things, especially in the eyes of society? Somebody who has hurt a child or abused a woman or whatever it might be. But God, you are a God of second chances and we are just as guilty of sin as they are. And I think we forget that. God, help us to remember that. Help us to think, yeah, God, you have saved me and you're going to save them as well. Use us today, God, to reach out to those who are lost. Even at the restaurant that we sit at for lunch or whatever it might be, help us to see the needs and help us to see them as somebody who is without you and use us to reach them. We pray it all in your name. Amen.